Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. And you join us today on a very special occasion, our 100th episode. Hurrah! Yay for us! This podcast started in July 2019, over three years ago, and has covered a wide array of topics like what is the Champions League? Who was Johan Cruyff? Did Didier Drogba really stop a civil war? Yeah, that was a topic. A brief history of soccer chants. And my personal favourite barrel of fun, what is Gam and Tam? More on that shortly. This podcast is now a centenarian. And to mark the occasion, we're going to dedicate our 100th and our 101st shows to a mega soccer glossary. The 100 terms from the beautiful game you need to know. Alrighty, my name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me with their finest dictionary definition Definitions today are Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Graham Ruffin. Hello. Hello. And Joseph Lowry. Hello. Ahoy. You got a weird hello. Sorry about that. And you, I got a weird response. <laughs> yeah, fair, that, it fair. fits. <laughs> Feels pretty good to have uh, 100 episodes in the old belt, huh, Taylor? It does. I, did you say it started in 2019? Yeah. Uh, we've been doing it. Man, I, if you told me it started in 2016, I would have believed you. Wow, okay, so it's only been three years. It feels like it's been longer, but I, I'm happy to know that. I'm happy we've made it to 100 and 101 episodes, and I've enjoyed doing most of them, uh, and the ones I didn't enjoy, uh, Joe, Joe and Ryan took over and handled for me. So thank you guys for that. Thank you all for making it possible for us to get here. Graham, thank you for joining us along the way, and uh, I really look forward to doing these episodes because it's always a fun combo of research and chat, and that's always a good time. And thank you, listener, for putting your ears around them as well, of course. And you can always go back uh, through the archives and listen to your favourite topics like Gab and Tam, as I mentioned there. Wonderful stuff. Um, Chaps, we are going to go through 101 terms in these next two episodes, as I mentioned. Um, That has the potential to run a bit long, so I have instilled some rules for this podcast. What we're going to do, we're going to go through 50 terms in this podcast, then in part two, the next episode on the feed, we're going to do the other 51. So we're going to go terms A through M alphabetically today. We're going to take it in turns to define each turn, but... I've gamified it. You gentlemen have a maximum of 30 seconds per term to describe what your term is. If you go over, I will sound an alarm that sounds like this. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that? that's terrifying. And when that alarm sounds, the pool opens from underneath your feet with the sharks with the lasers attached to their heads. <laughs> so um, I warn you, you don't want to happen that to happen. Um, and Graham, it's not the strangest thing to have happened in my house, in fairness. Oh. Really, really. Uh, not... Yeah, haunted house that I live in. <laughs> well, for you, Graham, <laughs> there's right. no, there's no sharks with lasers for you. Um, for every second you go over, you have to watch a minute of Scotland attempting to perform against Ukraine in World Cup. Oh, no, yeah. I don't want to watch another second of that game, please. <laughs> All right, gents. I say we get straight to this. What do you say, Graham? I'll give you a heads up. You're going to go first. Uh, we're going to okay. go alphabetically. Taylor, you are up next. I will go third. And Joseph Lowry, the anchor man. How do you feel about that one? Cleanup hitter, baby. I'm here for it. I assume that's baseball. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, right. baseball is kind of like cricket, just if that helps at all. Oh, boring. Got it. Just great. with hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joseph. We're going to start off with you, Graham. I'm going to count down three, two, one. I'm going to give you your first term. Are you ready, Graham? I am. Here we go. In three, <laughs> in two, in it's one. Graham, your term is 50 plus one rule. Go, Graham. 
Okay, so the 50 plus 1 rule is something stipulated by the German Football League, the DFL, that says football clubs will not be allowed to play in the Bundesliga if commercial investors have more than a 49% stake. This means that private investors cannot take over clubs and potentially push through measures that prioritise profit over the wishes of supporters. The ruling simultaneously protects against reckless owners and safeguards the democratic customs of German clubs, and that's according to the Bundesliga official website. So when you see the likes of Roman Abramovich buying Chelsea or the Saudi-backed consortium buying Newcastle that can't happen in Bundesliga because of the 50 plus 1 rule there you go that was 35 seconds Graham but I'll allow it thank you very much Taylor we come to you next aggregate go the combined number of goals scored by two teams over two legs in a knockout competition if PSG beat uh, Madrid 1-0 and then Madrid won the second leg 4-2 Madrid advances 4-3 on aggregate uh, that was 11 seconds. Graham, where were you when timing came out like that? Come on, man. That was great. Uh, Thank you very much. I know. Letting the team down. <laughs> the next term is agricultural. I'm going to take this one. Here I go. Agricultural refers to a violent style of play. It usually refers to an agricultural tackle. Uh, it means it's a rough tackle, probably against the rules, probably something that's going to get a card. It's usually the sign of a very physical team if they're agricultural. Uh, its meaning is that it's pretty unrefined. It comes from a stereotype of country folk. 19 seconds, Joe. How do you like that? Thank you very much. Are you refereeing yourself here, Ryan? What is this, UEFA? Mm, who guards the Guardians? Yes, you're right, Graham. Very, uh, very good Ryan, point. Ryan, that is one of the like handful of terms that I have never heard associated with soccer before that really? I know for a fact either you or Graham put on this sheet. Taylor, is it agricultural? Was like, it was that me. was you. I've that never heard that before. <laughs> I have a couple that I have just not ever come across in my, my soccer lifetime. So I'm excited for this. I learned something. I'm sure the listeners did too. Good man. Joe, you're up next. Away goals. Go. Okay, so away goals is, yes, by definition, it's technically the number of goals you score away from home, but we really use it as a way to talk about uh, tie-breaking in soccer. So the away goals rule is a way to break a tie in a soccer uh, two-legged contest. So in certain competitions where there's a home leg and an away leg, if both teams have scored the same number of goals at the end of the second leg, the team that scored more goals while playing away from home is declared the winner. Boom, done. Away goals rule. That's how it works. 26 seconds, Joe. Classic, classic 101-ing. Thank you very much. Uh, We are back with you, Graham. Remember, 30 seconds. Be a good boy. Uh, Your term is back post. Away you go. Okay, so back post is the term used to label the literal post of the goal frame in relation to the position of the goalkeeper, but also to label an area of the pitch, again, in relation to the goalkeeper's position. That's the best way to think about this. So, for example, when a player scores a goal by placing the ball between the goalkeeper and the post to which they're furthest from, the goalkeeper is said to have been beaten at the back post. There's an example for you. Do you all use far post as well, or is that an Americanism? I think you can switch between the two, I think. Yeah. Okay. Because I grew up saying far post and near post. So back post, good to know. Uh, Also works. It does indeed. Taylor, you're up next, big dog. Back pass. Away you go. Uh, I guess it's technically any pass played towards your own goal as opposed to lateral or forward. But it usually refers to uh, a pass back to the goalkeeper. And we did have the back pass rule come into effect because goalkeepers used to be able to pick up that pass with their hands. Now they cannot because it slowed the game down way too much. Brilliant. 17 seconds, Taylor. I'm so proud of you, bud. Well done. Well, let's see how it plays out over the rest of this one. Yeah. And of course, the back pass rule coming in. Soccer is never boring anymore because of that. Wonderful stuff. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's solved. Everyone's happy now. All right. Here I go policing myself again. Between the lines is my term. And away we go. 
Go. Uh, between the lines uh, is a reference <laughs> used for the attacking phase of play. It means that um, it's Class the space ticking. between the forwards and the midfielders or the defenders or the Still attacker. Ticking. Between the lines we're talking about here, Taylor. Thank you for disrupting me. So it's like the space between the bank of four defenders mm-hmm. or between the three or four midfielders. So it means if you if you pass between the lines, you can place a pass there because there's more space there. Or you can arrive between the lines because you want to receive a pass between the lines and you have more space to operate operate there. 29 seconds. Woo! That was like 45 oh. seconds. I'm not buying <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> you can time it at home. That was 29. That was 29. Um, where are we next? We go to Joseph Lowry. Joseph, please tell me about the Bosman ruling. Go. The Bosman ruling allows the modern day free transfer, which are not free transfers, really. There's still money associated with them, but they, they have basically eliminated the need in some ways for a transfer fee. It allowed players to leave their club at the end of their contract without needing a transfer fee to move clubs. Before this rule, clubs didn't have to let players go. So the rule was introduced in 1995. It involved Belgian midfielder Jean Marc Bosman. And for more, there's a 101 episode already made about this. Yeah, go is. back in your feed. Oh, Textbook, right in between. There's your 30-second point right there, uh, Joe. Thank you very much. There is indeed a show about this. Go back and check it out, listener. We are with you, Graham. Uh, I want to know what a bottler is or what it means when you are bottling it. Go, sir. Okay, so bottling it, or if we're talking about a single player, as you say, to be a bottler, is the act of choking. To borrow a term I know is used in some other sports, uh, it relates to the mental strength of a team or a player. So if you're winning in a winning position and don't win, and the reason you don't win is a weak mindset, then you have bottled it. Arsenal, for instance, this season, in the opinion of some, may have bottled finishing this in, the, in the top four. England may have bottled the Euro 2020 final. You get the idea. Graham, right. that is, those are both like evergreen references for Arsenal and England as far as bottling <laughs> things. That is great work. That is completely fair. Thank you very much, Graham. Uh, Taylor, you're up next, bud. Um, we've got Cap Tide, not to be mm-hmm. confused with Cup Tide. Cap Tide, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, kind of kind of similar, uh, but Cap Tide means a player is now committed to play for a national team. They can no longer switch their loyalties. I used to think it was an abbreviation coming from Career Appearances, C-A-P, but then learned that the term originates from back when England players were given actual hats for each national team selection. A, a thing I think they have since discontinued, but that is where Cap comes from. Scotland still do that <laughs> because we haven't joined the 21st century. I'm pretty sure England still do it, don't they? Perhaps, yeah, I think maybe, yeah. yeah. I just I don't cap. think I've seen a pile of caps, and you would assume like Harry Kane would have a whole column of them. That's true. Um, you think he'd wear them during matches? Yeah. I mean, you got to get him around that noggin first, and that's always going to be a problem. <laughs> Dude, receding. I mean, he could use a cap or two. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Taylor. Cap tied and cup tied, of course, means that you, uh, ca- you when you switch teams, you cannot play in a cup competition because you have already played in that competition with another team. Is that right, Taylor? I think I'd explain that adequately. It, that that is right. I think they've like the rules on that have changed, right? Where now you you yeah. sort of can they've they've loosened it up a mm. bit. So so that's after kind of January you used to not be able to play in the Champions League if you'd played in the first half and then moved in January, and I think they got rid of that now, so you can now play in the Champions League. This is a bonus term. This is a bonus term, everybody. This is not on the list, but goodness gracious, we are doing the most here. 
Look at us getting extra value into our podcast. Uh, I'm up next. Uh, the term is captain. Here I go. Your captain is the leader of the team. You get to wear a lovely little armband to show that status. Um, you're often supposed to represent the ideals of the team and lead by example and to communicate. Your only actual responsibility as a captain by the laws of the game is to take part in the coin toss at the start to determine the kickoff direction. Uh, you get to shake hands with the referee and you're supposed to officially act as an intermediary between the team and the officials. Um, in rugby, only the captain can talk to the referee. Some people would like that to be a rule in soccer. I probably would like that too. 30 seconds. You're welcome. <laughs> um, uh, that we'll take your word for it. I'm going to have my own buzzer from now on and just time you and go <laughs> when uh, when it's time. What are you hitting there? Just, just my head. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, it's my metal water bottle. All right. Very good. J- yeah. 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 Is that what you call it? Joe Lowry. Catenaccio, per favore. Catenaccio means door bolt in, in Italian. That's how we translate it into English. It's a defensive Ooh. shape and approach that originated back in, in the 1930s. So in theory, the idea behind this is that there's almost always one defender left free, and that player is the bolt on the door. So the idea kind of behind this is to absorb pressure before winning the ball and then getting it forward on the break. It's not... It's not really rocket science tactically now. And in, in reality, it's kind of turned into a stereotype for Italian soccer, which is very outdated. So Italian soccer and Catenaccio. Ah, I had so much more to say. Ah, you get the idea. <laughs> Catenaccio, doorbolt, defending. Yay. I think you did a good job there, Joseph. Very good. And that's a, I didn't know the translation. That's very interesting. Thank yeah, neither did much. I. I think giving Joe an uh, intricate tactical system to uh, describe in 30 seconds was setting so him hard. up for failure. So hard. I should have left out the doorbolt translation, as interesting that is as that is. There's so much more I had to say. Okay. There anyway, let's move on. Graham, we go to you. Center back is your turn. Go. So I think this is a fairly straightforward one. This is the name given to a player who plays in the in the center of a, of a defense. He or she is most commonly the closest outfield player to a team's own goal, and their primary purpose is to stop opposition players scoring. Very nice indeed. You even did some dramatic pausing there, Graham. Thank hmm. you very much. And you're still under 30 seconds. Taylor, uh, I've got a nice one for you. CONCACAF, what you got, bud? That would be the abbreviation or acronym, I forget which one, for Confederation of North America, Central America, and Caribbean Association Football. CONCACAF is one of FIFA's six continental governing bodies, comprises 41 member associations, including three from the northern coast of South America. Make sense of that? You can. We did an episode on it. I forget which one. Well, well, we can go back in the feed and check that out. And Taylor, just as a bonus feature, what, is, what does it mean to be concacaf that's when the particular absurdities of CONCACAF and playing within CONCACAF are fully on display, and that can be a player going in uh, studs up and then not being given a red card, but maybe the player who got the studs up challenge getting a red card somehow. It can be ghost goals being given, uh, ridiculousness uh, in the what? stands, oh, all good that. things. Wow. Hmm. I don't know what that was. (laughs) Sorry. Excuse you, Joe. Excuse you. Uh, Thank you very much, Taylor. I'm up next with Corridor of Uncertainty. Here I go. This term comes from cricket. It's the area where the ball bounces when it is bold. It's hard for the batsman to read which direction it's going to bounce into. So we've translated that to soccer. It means when a cross comes into the box and it's between the goalkeeper and a defensive line. So between the lines, a previous phrase I've explained here, but for the last line of defence between goalkeeper and defender. The uncertainty here is effectively who should claim the ball where a defender or, or or even if a defender can deflect the goal into their own net yay 
Thank you very much. Uh, we go next. <laughs> I'm just I'm just praising myself for getting Do, doing your own applause now, are you? As well as refereeing yourself. I should have had a little yay box as well with my beside my big red button, and it is a big red button. I'll take a photo of it later. Um, we go now to Joseph Lowry. Please tell us what a counter attack is, Joe. Defending team wins the ball. They attack. Boom. Counter attack. So it's when you take the other team's attacking <laughs> momentum and you use it against them. You counter it. That's what a counter attack is. Oh, so concise. I love it. Just like a counter attack. Appropriate. Hmm. Um, we're going to take a break right after Graham tells us what a counter, what counter pressing is. Graham, off we go. Okay, so according to Coach's Voice, which, by the way, is a great resource on this sort of thing, counterpressing is a strategy used to disrupt the opposition as soon as possession is lost. And that's the point of defensive transition. So it involves aggressively pressing the ball and the opponents near to the ball with, with several players. And this is obviously something we've seen in the modern game more and more. And we talk about it a lot on the show. And I'm not sure that was the case 10 years ago that people talked about it this much. Wonderful stuff. Graham, thank you so much. Listener, we're taking a very quick break. When we come back, more of this slightly anxiety-inducing stuff. Soccer 101, welcome back to the show. Taylor, I'm impressed you haven't had a buzz yet because you're a bit of a chatty Cathy. That I am. <laughs> uh, I will try to keep that going. Uh, when we get to Game and Tam, I might uh, use all the seconds that I've accumulated. That Ryan might just, just came two. back from break and hurled an absolute missile towards Taylor. I love it. <laughs> I feel like I've hurled a few at him in this recording and another, so it's probably <laughs> oh. deserved. That's, is that a mean thing to say? I think it's quite endearing. All Maybe right. not for this game. <laughs> not, for the, not for the purposes of a, a game where you have a 30-second time limit, I should oh. say. And speaking of that, Tay-Tay, you are up next, good sir. I want you to tell me what the term Cross means. Mm -hmm. I would love to steal the joke from Scrooge, the greatest Christmas movie of all time, but I will instead give the actual definition. A cross is a medium to long range pass, usually in the air, from the wide areas of the pitch into the central area around the opposition goal, and that could be a chipped ball, in swinging or out swinging, or a driven or grounded cross, aka a worm burner. Uh, greatest holiday uh, Christmas movie of all time, Home Alone. Die Hard. Hello? Ooh, Die Hard's up there, and I, I'm not trying to get into that debate, but yeah, Die Hard is probably my favorite Christmas movie, Scrooged, a close second. There we go. Thank you very much, Tete. I am up next with the Cruyff turn. Here we go. A move made famous by Johan Cruyff at the 1974 World Cup in a game against Sweden, uh, en route to the final, were the Netherlands in that game. It's where you feign a pass, but you drag the ball behind your standing leg and change direction. It's misdirection to fool a defender. Uh, it's one of the most common dribbling moves that's taught at youth level. I remember being taught it when I was very young myself. Uh, it's not used very often at professional level, I'd say, but it's one of those moves that really helps with control, helps to develop one's game. Did I get that? Is that about right, Cruyff Turn Taylor? Does that sound good? Yeah, good. Thanks. <laughs> all right, Joe, you're up next. <laughs> Joe, you're getting all the Italian terms oh. so far. Joe, I come to you with Corva. Off you yeah, go. Yeah, so Corva is not one that I'd ever heard before in a soccer context or any other context. It's an Italian term for the curved part of the stands in a stadium. So it's usually located behind the goals. It's that part of the stadium where the supporters or the ultras sit. It's, it's kind of uh, a critical piece of supporters' culture from what I could gather. I'm not someone who's ever sat in that part of a stadium before but i think it is a really important piece of the feel of soccer games very good joe yes i've actually sat recently in the curva um at the stadio olimpico with the lazio fans and it is quite an interesting experience not least because it's a curva so you're quite far away from the goal because of geometry which sucks <laughs> anyway <Yeah. laughs> thank you very much joe uh graham dead ball please away you go 
So this is another uh, straightforward one, nice and quick. A dead ball situation is, sorry, <laughs> cursed myself there. A dead ball uh, situation is when the game is restarted when the ball is stationary, such as a free kick. Obviously, this event is quite routine in soccer and often occurs between individual plays of the game. Good man. Taylor, defensive block, away you go. I shall break my vow of silence. Uh, usually a low-pressure <laughs> defensive system that involves organizing defenders on a team's own half of the pitch, so you're staying deep and defensive. Most common version would be two lines of four, eight total players that sit deep and central, seek to limit clear-cut goal-scoring chances through the middle. Excellent stuff. Textbook. Thank you very much, Tay-Tay. Uh, I'm up next. Derby. Um, I don't think we're talking about Wayne Rooney's team he manages here. We're talking traditionally about a match between two local teams with a rivalry. So the North London derby between Tottenham and Arsenal, the Merseyside derby, the Rome derby, the Milan derby, El Trafico in Los Angeles. All examples of derbies between local rivals. El Clasico, Barcelona and Real Madrid, not strictly a derby because they're not local teams, just a big, big rivalry. Apparently it's called a derby because back in the 12th century, there was a game that kind of predated soccer in Derbyshire that played an annual game. The rivalry grew for 30 seconds. Oh, I didn't buzz myself. I was right on the line there, right on the line. Uh, I just got away with that, I think. Graham is is seething about all of this collusion. Goodness gracious. (laughs) Joseph Lowry, designated player. Okay, a designated player is a special player in MLS. They're usually stars uh, when you find good ones, not that MLS teams often do. Necessarily, the DP rule was invented in 2007 to allow MLS teams to compete for the signing of big-time players. MLS has a salary cap, so the DP rule is a way for teams to get around that a little bit and to have the transfer fees and salaries that they pay for these big-time players count less against the salary cap. It softens the the budget burden for some of these players. That's what a designated player is. Oh, I buzzed you, but you were right on the buzzer, Joe. I'm going to give you that. Oh, is this what you feel like every single time, Ryan? Wow. Take that away in post. No. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, Graham, we come to you. Double pivot. Okay, so in essence, a double pivot is a midfield pairing of two players. They're positioned in front of the central defenders, inside the fullbacks or wingbacks, and behind the attacking midfielders. The duo is most commonly used in a, you can see them in a 4-2-3-1 formation, operating behind a a number 10. And when I think of a double pivot, I think of a partnership like the one between Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich, where both players offer a lot on both sides of the ball in both directions. They are two-way players in a partnership together. Wonderful stuff. Spoiler alert, listener. Single pivot coming up later on, alphabetically. Um, Taylor Rockwell, dribble. Mm -hmm. When a single player uh, maneuvers the ball with his or her feet or single foot, if you're Antonio Valencia, usually using short touches to get around defenders or to attack spaces to create chances, the term itself dates back to the 16th century when it meant to let fall in drops or bits, first using the footballing sense in the 1860s. Wow, bit of history there. Love that one. Thank you very much, Taylor. Uh, My term is drop deep. It's either when a defending team moves further back towards their own goal to try and reduce the amount of space for the attacking team to operate. Uh, So you can drop deep and you can counter, sort of classic Jose Mourinho stuff, or maybe even a bit of Leicester when they won the title. 20 seconds, Ryan. There you go. (laughs) 14, I'd actually thank you. Thank you very much. Or it can refer to a player (laughs) who can drop deep to receive a pass, like a midfielder. can drop back towards the defensive line to receive a pass. It's like your deep-lying playmaker, uh, your midfielder who sits between the midfield and the defensive lines, can drop deep. (laughs) Right, up to 30. I went up to 30 there. You're welcome. (laughs) You stopped the P of deep. I stopped it at 29.48. Yeah, yeah. I'm running a tight ship here, Taylor. I'm not messing around, Okay. 
Um, Joe Lowry, nine. false nine, go. Speaking of dropping deep, a false nine is basically just a number nine, Ooh. a striker who drops deep in possession. So the nine is the number that represents the player playing the striker position. If you want more on the numbers, go back in the feed and find that episode somewhere. Maybe it's in the TSS feed. I don't know. But a false nine is a striker who drops deep to overload the midfield and connect play because they're not doing classic big guy or big big player number nine things. They're a false nine. Very good. Uh, Graham, we come to you for Farmers League. A farmer's league is a derogatory term used by football fans to describe a football league that they don't consider to be competitive. So other terms could include pub league or Sunday league, they basically do the same job. This is a term I usually associate with a certain level of ignorance. See how League 1 in France, one of the best leagues in the world, is called a farmer's league by a lot of different fans. But I grew up in the countryside and basically all the football leagues there are literally farmer's leagues. So that's a slightly different perspective. (laughs) My wife grew up in the southwest of England, Graham, where they literally are all farmers. So I presume they are literally having farmers leagues down there too. Yes, indeed. That is my experience as well. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it came from that kind of agricultural um, kind of background. Ryan, that feels like the type of background information that you would bring up to mock her. Do, do you occasionally refer to her as a farmer, or do you let that one go? Once again, you are leaning on the stereotype that I mentioned in agricultural at the top of the show, Taylor. I don't deal in stereotypes. I'm very fair. Yeah. I- I, I don't even know how to respond to that. It's so incorrect. <laughs> uh, talking about unfair and incorrect, Taylor, your term is FIFA. Hey, you beat me to it. Uh, Federation Internationale de Football Association is a not-at-all-problematic organization that is also world soccer's highest governing body, founded in 1904 to oversee international competition amongst member states, of which there are now 211 after Russia was suspended at time of recording. Very naughty, Russia. Thank you very yep. much, Taylor. Um, my turn is formation. This is the arrangement of players on the field. For example, 4-3-3, 4-4-2. You don't mention a goalkeeper. It's taken for granted, so it's not 1-4-4-2. Uh, soccer's not a rigid sport. The players don't always stay in shape. But you tend to find well-organized teams tend to keep their shape in and out of possession. So that is formation for you guys. Joe Lowry, front post. Hey, remember everything Graham said earlier about back post? (laughs) But the opposite. So the front post or the near post is the goal post that's closest to where the goalkeeper is or to where the play is happening. If a goalkeeper gets beaten at the front post, that means the shot was taken from a pretty tight angle into the space that's that's just close to where they are. Or you could put a defender at the front post to defend a goal, uh, to defend a corner kick, excuse me, and have that player try to head the ball away as it comes in. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, Graham, I think you had centre-back earlier. You now have full-back. Mm. I was put down for this one to make me say full-back, wasn't I? That was the, the whole reason full for this one. Full-back. Yeah. And anyway, a, a full-back is a, is a member of the defensive line, and there are usually two full-backs in a team, one on either side. Traditionally, the full-backs, the left-back and the right-back, they take up uh, holding wide positions, uh, slightly more defensive, although in the modern game, they typically, typically have a, a lot more of uh, attacking freedom as well. So there's been a, a slight evolution of that term. All right, thank you very much, Graham. Taylor Rockwell, this is your Everest. This is your moment, the one we've all been waiting for. We're going to take a break to recover right after you tell us in no more than 30 seconds, what is Gam and Tam? (laughs) 
Uh, GAM is general allocation money. TAM is targeted allocation money. GAM is basically extra salary cap space. It can be applied to the salaries of individual players to lower their cap hit. It can also be included in trades and is eligible for use on just about everyone. TAM serves a specific function, a similar function, but it can also be applied to players with combined annual salary and acquisition costs between the maximum charge and the maximum charge plus one million. But basically, TAM can't be traded. You're given that TAM and you have to spend it, usually on your more expensive players to pay them down. Wow. That needed the eight mile music over the top of it. (laughs) That was impressive, Tay-Tay. You took took like a second at the start just to flex as well. I like that. Uh, Mostly to frantically delete information right before I started recording, (laughs) which is definitely true. That was about half... That was like half of what I had written when I started. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Listener, a little uh, look at uh, Peel Behind the Onion. Joe Lowry tells us he likes to listen to podcasts at one and a half speed because he's an efficient guy. I think you might need to listen to that half speed to uh, get all the information down. (laughs) (laughs) I respect it, though, Taylor. That was a lot in a little amount of time. Good job. Who put this in? It was Ryan, right? Yeah, that was me. Didn't want to separate those, huh? Wanted to make them two terms in one. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) Funny? Thank you very much, guys. We'll be back after this very short break with the last part of part one. Stay tuned. Soccer 101, welcome back to our glossary edition, our 100th and 101st episode. Spectacular. Hope you're having fun, listener. We definitely are. I'm going to have some fun right now telling you what the term ghost goal means. Here I go. Clock started. It's either a goal that wasn't given that should have been because it did cross the line or sometimes a goal that was given but shouldn't have been because it didn't cross the line. The most famous examples, Frank Lampard at the 2010 World Cup versus Germany had a shot that very clearly crossed the line after hitting the crossbar but it wasn't given. Conversely, Luis Garcia for Liverpool against Chelsea in the Champions League in 2005. Footage didn't really clear up if his goal had actually crossed the line. It was given controversially, allowed Liverpool to progress in that competition. And Panama. (laughs) Yes, and Panama. Which brings us full circle to Ryan's uh, clarifying question when I define CONCACAF. Uh, A ghost goal is the type of thing that happens when you have been CONCACAFed. You've been concacaffed. Yeah. Uh, It's just come to me that probably the more famous example is the 1966 World Cup in which Jeff Hurst had a ghost goal, which uh, people still don't know if it actually crossed the line because cameras, I guess. Nah, it's Panama. That's all right, though. (laughs) Also Panama. Thank you very much. Joe, uh, speak of the devil. Goal line technology, please. Yeah, this is an easy one after you, right? And you said the stage. So goal line technology is something that uses pretty high-tech cameras to determine whether or not the ball has crossed the line. It was approved, the goal line, I should say. It was approved for use by the International Football Association Board in 2012. As a viewer, you'll often see really cool graphics or angles from these cameras on your screen during games to help illustrate whether the ball has crossed the goal line or not. Wonderful stuff, Joe. Thank you very much. Graham Ruthven, Golden Goal. So, Golden Goal was a rule used in the 90s and early 2000s as a tiebreaker to decide knockout matches that ended in a draw. So the system was simple, you score the first goal in extra time and you win the game. That's the end of the match, the other team doesn't have a chance to respond. It might have been simple, but it was generally unpopular and was ditched in the mid-2000s in favour of allowing teams to play the full extra time period, which is the system we have today. Indeed. If I'm not mistaken, Graham, 
Germany won Euro 96 with a golden goal with a very underwhelming goal that kind of slipped through the goalkeeper's hands. And I think that that was almost the death of it because they decided that was a very underwhelming ending to a game. So so just because of my age, the one I always remember was the Euro 2000 uh, winner from David Trezeguet for France against Italy. That for me is the quintessential golden goal. And I think that was actually quite a quite a decent goal and a memorable, memorable goal as, as well. Much more so. Yes, Graham. Good stuff. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, half turn. Matt Doyle's favorite soccer phrase, Georgi Mihailovic's least favorite soccer phrase, refers to receiving the ball while already turning, ideally so that you continue to advance the ball with a minimum number of touches. Could be a quarter turn, could be three-quarter turn, but we call it a half turn. And I know Joe knows this because Bobby Warshaw taught us yep. it in person. <laughs> <laughs> I, this wasn't one I was particularly aware of. See, it basically, you're starting to turn already, then you receive it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's like it's like if you imagine the pass coming to you, like Ryan, when you're facing the passer, and as it's coming to you, you're sort of now facing what would that be? Forty five degrees, ninety. Mm-hmm. You're facing the side degrees. You're facing the side degrees. Yeah, you've turned yeah. that much, and so you're receiving like usually with the instep, and then you kind of cushion it, but carry it the other way. The, for my money, the best player in the world at this is Luka Modric. Yep, he does this all the time. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, another half coming at you right now from me. Half volley. A ball that's hit just at or just after the moment it bounces. So the ball's hit in the air, but only just off the ground by a tiny amount. Uh, that means the ball tends to have more speed because uh, more speed is comparison to when it was hit off the ground directly. A bit more power as well. Uh, goalkeepers often or can often punt the ball downfield on the half volley. There's a bit of debate about what the term means in some context of goals being scored, but that's generally what it means just after it's hit the ground. Um, That was half volley. Joe, one more half. Half space. Go, sir. Yeah, we're up to one and a half halves at this point. So half half space (laughs) is from, I almost did the British thing, half space is from the German word (laughs) halbrum. So that just means half space when you translate it to English. Imagine the soccer field is split up into five vertical sections. You have the right wing, the left wing, then you have the middle The space between the wings and the middle, those are called the left half space and the right half space. They're good spaces. You can control the field in those spaces. You can make some interesting passes from those spaces. That's what a half space is. Uh, These were randomly assigned, Joe, but that feels very Joe Lowry. I think I've heard you use that phrase a lot. Yes, I definitely added that one. I did not control that it got to me, but I'm happy it did. Joe, I think Joe just stole that from like his wedding vows. Like I think he's he just kind of can pull that from anywhere whenever he needs to. I love you so much. So anyway, half spaces is actually from the German word halbrum. I mean, I mean, you never know. You never know what it's going to be, Joe. <laughs> oh, such a romantic joke, aren't you? Um, Graham, hat trick, please. So the term hat trick is used to describe the act of a player scoring three times in a in a single game. The term originated in British cricket. A bowler who retired three batsmen with three consecutive balls was entitled to a new hat at the expense of the club to commemorate this feat. I know nothing about cricket, so I have no idea what that really means. But there you go. English country gents, basically people like Ryan came up with the term. <laughs> and a perfect hat trick is what? Left foot, right foot header? Correct, yes. Cool. Yes, that's right. It's amazing how many terms come from cricket. That's the second one we've heard already, with the other one um, being, what was that? That was... Corridor uh, of Uncertainty, Corridor right? of Uncertainty. Thank you, Joe. I'm glad I you remembered. I was paying that. attention. Yeah. And I think an earlier Soccer 101 episode will tell you that I think even the number of players on the pitch comes from cricket. Ah, very good. Such a bad sport as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no offense to any cricket fans out there, but it's... Not enough boring. hot dogs. Not enough hot dogs. <laughs> Taylor, the opposite of boring. A Hollywood pass, please. 
Seems to be some debate about this one, uh, but I would go with a spectacular or audacious long ball that usually doesn't end up working out. But when it does, if it does, you know you're getting on the highlight reel. Ah, very nice. Um, When I hear Hollywood in the context of soccer, Taylor, I always think of FC Hollywood, which is a very strange term for Bayern Munich, isn't it? Oh, I thought you meant the actual FC Hollywood or Hollywood FC that existed that had like Eric Winalda and Vinnie Jones on it. That was an interesting one. I think they made it somewhat far in the US Open Cup one season. Yeah, not the dude from The Cure and all that kind of stuff, wasn't it? Robert Um, Smith? Robert Smith. No, not The Cure. Robert Smith. The cult, the cult. Billy, Billy, is it Billy Graham? No. It's definitely not Billy Graham. Not Billy Graham. <laughs> if, if Billy Graham were in the cult, that would be hilarious in a number of different ways. <laughs> I've forgotten his Let's name. Let's just go through Billy's. Billy Crystal. <laughs> Billy Gilmore? <laughs> oh, too soon. Billy um, Zane? Should we listen to our friend Billy Zane? <laughs> Thanks, Billy Zane. Anyway, um, I'm going to come in. That was a Zoolander reference there. You're welcome. Um, hospital pass for me. Here I go. A hospital pass is a pass that's played too far in front of the player uh, that it's intended for. So as if they catch the ball, they will probably also catch a big old tackle from a player from the other team and possibly be hurt. It's a misplaced pass that could put your teammate in danger. Hospital pass. Joe Lowry. Don't do it. Was that that okay, Taylor? Yeah, I'm just saying don't hit a hospital pass or you're going to hear about it. Yeah, I've probably hit too many of them in my time. Sorry, teammates joe sorry ankles <laughs> uh this one is the name of a lovely now defunct i think it's now defunct magazine howler howler what a howler was beautiful in in a lot of different ways a howler though in, in where that name comes from is a really bad goalkeeping error so the first use of the word howler to mean a mistake was recorded in 1890 apparently in the early days of the telephone the phone would produce a loud howl that would prompt the receiver to hang up the phone I don't know why. I can't remember what it is. Doesn't matter. Not time. A howler's a goalkeeping mistake. If you make a howler, you did a bad thing. Very good, Joe. Very good. Concise, rich, and compelling. What's it? <laughs> I was entertained. Rich enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, a few more to go here in part one. Graham, I would love to tell. I'd love you to tell me what instep means. So instep, instep, excuse me, relates to a technique when kicking the ball. I would consider it to be the quintessential and probably the most technically sound way to kick a football. It's basically when a player kicks the ball with the edge between the inside and the top of their foot, usually where the the laces on the cleats or the the football boots are positioned. And this tends to be where you will find the most control of the ball when you're passing it or kicking it. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Graham. Taylor Rockwell, I I love saying this word. Yep. Knuckleball. I also love that we come on on the heels of Graham talking about the most like delicate way to play a pass. A knuckleball would be a type of shot in which the spin on the ball is minimized or removed entirely, which has the effect of causing the ball to move in unpredictable or seemingly erratic ways. Always risky when I try to explain baseball, but a knuckleball gets its name from baseball pitchers using their knuckles to kind of hold the ball in their hand as they're throwing it instead of the tips of their fingers. So, Taylor, baseball's like cricket, but with more hot dogs. That's the one. That's the one. Yes, I, I believe that's the, correct. And since uh, Joe asked a question, I can now keep talking. Um, I was, <laughs> I've never fully understood how knuckleballs work, because I thought it was like the way you throw it or the, like it, you do a specific thing that makes it have no spin, which is true. You're basically just releasing it without kind of that follow through, so you don't put spin on it. But the knuckle comes from then, I guess, the, like, the wind speed as it's moving through the, the uh, velocity it affects like the panels differently or the stitching differently because there's no spin. So that's why it kind of goes all over the place. This was my favorite one to read about and learn about. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I consider it like a roll of the dice because yep. you you don't you don't really have the control over it. So yeah, it might go miles over the bar, but equally it might go in the top corner. And because you don't know where it's going to go, the goalkeeper doesn't know where it's going to go. So it's a footballing roll of the dice for me. Is it is it so much? I would associate this uh, Graham with like Ronaldo free kicks, where you know hit the valve mm. and you don't spin. Is that a roll of the dice when he's doing it? Well, it's it is now, and he's uh, coming up <laughs> with zero every time. There's not zero on a dice, one every time, uh, because he is not very good at them anymore. But yeah, I, st- I still think it was a roll of the dice. He was just very good at rolling that dice when he uh, started doing them. But it he is sort of fair to say, I think that whereas in baseball you can have like knuckleball pitchers and they specialize in that. With soccer, you can try to make that happen, but I feel like it's less deliberate. Like Tim Weah's goal. Uh, against Joe, who did we just beat? Uh, Morocco. <laughs> Morocco. <laughs> uh, it's it's been an evening. Uh, like that one has unintentional knuckle, but I'm sure he'll still take it because back of the net is back of the net. All right, I think we have a few more terms in this episode. <laughs> you were about I'm... to end it, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got four left. In fact, uh, we've got four left. We're going to go around the houses one more time. Uh, hospital pass from me. A... No, I've just done that one. Libero. <laughs> Also known as a sweeper in English. It's uh, essentially, it can be a centre-back. It's a concept that kind of changed over time. Franz Beckenbauer, probably the most famous libero example. Someone who sits deep behind the defence when in defensive mode, recovers the ball and then pushes forward and kind of breaks the line. I will kind of compare it to a quarterback receiving the ball and pushing forward. So, um, you know, your last line of defence against the worst governor in the universe, like the men in black. There you go, 30 seconds. Boom. Men in Black reference. <laughs> I don't think it made any sense, but I wanted to squeeze it in all the same. I almost read out the wrong thing and hospital pass again. Such is life, Joe. Such is life. You've got a much easier one. Midfielder. I do. Midfielders are the players that spend most of their time in the middle of the field. They connect the defense to the attack and vice versa. There's all kinds of midfielders, both positionally and stylistically, but most of them tend to hang out in the middle of the field. Who's the player that like you most readily think of when you hear the term midfielder? Xavi. Is it? Yeah. You? I think that's... It might be Modric for me these days, but yeah, Xavi's a great shout. Actually, it's Tyler Adams. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> Joe, and I will, Joe and I will carry this conversation. I've Brandon never um, considered it, but that I just boy. thought of Lampard for some reason. Because you're British. British. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm not surprised by that one. Plus, you're still Scott trying to write the injustices of his disallowed ghost goal. We're yeah. so close to the end. <laughs> we are so close. We are on term number 49. Graham, it is Mixer. So this is a term I imagine people like Sam Allardyce and Harry Redknapp use a lot. I imagine it's said quite a lot by, or by fans who call into talk sport. The Mixer is the middle of the box between the penalty spot and the goal. Uh, or to use a more spe- uh, scientific term, the position of maximum opportunity. And uh, it's most commonly used when all other options have been exhausted and you'll stick it in the mixer, maybe when time is is running out and you just, it's a gamble. You just see what happens. You're playing percentages by doing this and it's not the sign of a terribly well-coached team. Putting it in the mixer. Thank you very much. One more turn, number 50, Taylor Rockwell, Moneyball. Term describing when a club seeks to analyze the player market to find what is undervalued and then sell that which is overvalued. It is most commonly used to refer to the strategy employed by the Oakland A's under Billy Bean, made popular by Michael Lewis's book, Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. Hot dogs. Often employs innovative or undervalued stats to gain a Hot better, dogs. more complete understanding of a player. <laughs> Joe, do, we need to, do you need to go and see the teacher? What's going on here? I'm so far gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't wait for part two of this panic attack. It's going to be great. Oh my God. 
Um, but I guess if people have missed that, the TLDR was uh, Jonah Hill does math. That's the definition oh. of Moneyball. Yeah, and Brad Pitt oh likes gosh. that. And, and Brad Pitt snacks. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. All right, so we are halfway through our 100th and 101st episode spectacular. It's going super great. We are learning all about all these terminologies. We've done A through M. We shall do N through Z in part two. Taylor, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about this one? Feeling good? I'm feeling good. I'm slightly worried about all of the like audible sighing and, and the idea that maybe Joe has lost his mind at this point. We'll see how it goes in part two. Joe, do you need a hot dog right now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I need something. I don't know what it is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Take five minutes, Joe. Go and play that ukulele that oh. you have. Chill for, okay. for part two. I will. You've missed I will. Check, Graham? I hope it's not. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> Anywho, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. Uh, right on the feed should be the 101st episode as well, where we will go through the remaining 51 terms of our glossary spectacular. Thank you so much. We'll see you shortly. 